Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today we welcome Imran Ahmed, a cybersecurity expert, lawyer, and U of T professor. Imran shares the latest developments in artificial intelligence and the cybersecurity space. According to recent reports by Bloomberg Intelligence, generative AI is poised to become a $1.3 trillion market by 2032. According to recent reports by Bloomberg Intelligence, generative AI is poised to become a $1.3 trillion market by 2032. Imram says there's a lot of noise in the AI market, especially since the launch of ChatGPT in November of 2022. Since then, companies have increased their investments in AI because their competitive future depends on it. But Imram notes the real value of AI is on the proprietary technology that is going to use data sets unique to clients. Without the right data set, you may not get a good outcome. He adds the three main types of investment in AI are generative AI, which is consumer friendly, transformative AI, which is a little more difficult to use, and thirdly, joint investments, which translates into collaborating to create a better tool. Imram says the best practices to keep data safe is creating less extensive accounts, being mindful of what you share with others, keeping your digital footprint short, and doing your due diligence when buying AI products. Today's podcast was recorded on September 22nd, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Welcome back, Imran. Great to see you. Great to see you too, Pamela. Thanks for having me. And we get to do this in person, yeah. which is different from, from the remote time that we did it last. I, let's go a little bit to the heart of the matter and just talk about what you've seen since you know last fall, basically. There was obviously a tipping point. Why was there a tipping point? It's a great question. And, and for the audience, artificial intelligence has been around for a very long time. Tons of research having been done over the last few decades. But you're right, there was a tipping point. And I'll give you just a small anecdote of something we were chatting about a bit earlier. November 30th, 2022, ChatGPT is officially launched. I wasn't even aware it was launched. Literally two weeks later, in the middle of December, I'm on a client call. This client's going to be launching a healthcare platform. They wanted to know what kind of security and cybersecurity measures they should be implementing. Had a great conversation. I uh, said, we'll get back to you within a day or so with some recommendations. 15 minutes later, no jokes, 15 minutes later, I have an email in my inbox saying, this is what ChatGPT has recommended. Do you think it's accurate or not? And by and large, it was. So uh, the general direction of what ChatGPT was saying was correct, but it lacked a lot of the context and didn't have the details that it was required to be fully compliant. So it was a good starting point, but wasn't necessarily there. So that's where it started. Everybody was experimenting with it. ChatGPT became common theme. 
And if I had to break it down, there's been three different phases of ChatGPT or generative AI. Just, since, just in the last eight, nine months. Yeah. Exactly. We're, we're not even at a year mark. So the first period was extreme enthusiasm. This will change the world. You probably heard about this in the media as well, where they were talking about people doing music collaborations and creating songs and you know artwork and other types of tools can be used for healthcare and other industries as well. So there's like a lot of expectation that this could actually be transformative. In a very positive way. Exactly. Yeah. And then there was a tipping point as well around the months of March, April, May, where there was a bit more hesitation because the speed with which the applications are coming out, the potential use coming out was such at a high cadence that people got nervous. And then you had some very prominent researchers and other celebrities like Elon Musk who came out and said, well, let's pause, let's put a moratorium on this. We should, we're advancing too quickly. We need some regulations and rules and guardrails. And that's where we're at right now in the third phase where there's a bit of a balanced approach. Yeah. Let's look just because we can do it doesn't mean we're going to do it, but let's still proceed forward. Okay. And so it's been it's been interesting to watch how it's been changing in less than a year, like you said. So are we in like a big, a big sort of um, retail infused um, beta stage or something? I think there, well, let me put this in context as well. As the head of the technology group at our firm over the last 20 years, I've seen various types of technologies come, some with more of an impact than others. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about blockchain in the past, as yeah. you know, but in terms of the actual adoption of certain technologies, it takes more time than others. The level and the speed with which generative AI is being adopted and I'll tell you, you know, we were chatting about this uh, as well. When you sit with board members or senior leadership at different companies, the one thing that's not being slashed, in fact, that's being increased is investment in AI, even mm -hmm. though we perhaps are headed towards a softer economy down the road. Uh, that is indicative of the focus a lot of businesses have that they see their competitive future dependent on how they incorporate AI technology as well. So that's fascinating that that is sort of the conversation around. I mean, do you, do you sit around these tables? Yeah, yeah. we sit either at the board or the, the uh, senior leadership uh, level as technical advisors. Yeah. Okay. Uh, explaining, you know, what were the risks, what are the technology, because there's a lot of noise too, right? We talked about well, this as well. There's, there's a lot of noise. And, and let me just sort of push back with, you know, an argument for the noise. Um, skeptics will say that, you know, blockchain, it's real. It's, it's just that you could also use an Excel spreadsheet. You know, you'll, have, mm -hmm. you'll hear people say things like that and yep. kind of level it um, as to why it should or shouldn't be uh, adopted. What's a similar type of um, skepticism of AI? So the Maybe biggest, there isn't one. No, Maybe no, no, there one. is. And, and it's interesting, if, if you were to look at AI generally, so there's a lot of different types of AI, right? There's machine learning, there's deep learning, there's right. a variety of them. But when we talk about generative AI, by and large, the conversations we're having with clients are, are twofold. There's the technology for AI that is there to improve productivity, right. improve efficiency, really working on logistical administrative back office issues that will make the technology quicker, faster, and more responsive. We're talking about, for example, helping uh, call center agents who are going to be able to get queries coming in from customers, quickly go, instead of looking on the intranet and figuring out where the information is, get ChatGPT or an equivalent generative AI tool to give them a quick answer, at least as a starting point. Right. We're seeing a lot of that. And that makes a lot of good sense because you can be much more efficient and have some economies of scale that will make sense. What we're not seeing as much, and there's more hesitation on, is transformative AI. Meaning you're going to implement AI to actually reinvent the model of your business altogether. What and would be an example of that? 
So you could have, for example, um, we, we talked about this as well before, financial institutions who mm -hmm. years ago said we're no longer FIs, we're technology firms, we're incorporating that technology in our day-to-day. -day. Right. More, more U.S. ones, because Canadian ones are still fortress banks, aren't they, right, in right. a way? And so a lot of the companies now are saying, well, let's reinvent what we're going to be doing with AI altogether. Oh, so if we're okay. a software company, for example, let's move away from software development, but focus on the data and the outcomes more than anything else. So for example, if we are getting a ton of information, I'm just making this up, in the real estate space, the commercial real estate space, um, and we see who's going in and out of a particular building, we have tons of data when people you know, swipe their fob or what have you to get into the building, go to a certain floor, hours are coming in, hours are leaving. Let's pull all that information, see how it can be efficient, sell it for investment purposes where you can say, okay, that type of a, of a building or that type of real estate asset may yield a certain valuable outcomes. Um, that people are hesitating a bit more on. Okay. We're doing a lot of R&D. Is that a privacy issue or is that? It's not a privacy issue. I think part of it is regulatory for sure yeah okay. and, and i'm sure we'll touch on this we a bit later that. but you know the red regulatory framework isn't fully baked yet mm -hmm. either here or anywhere in the world right. so they're hesitating if we do this and invest so much money and time and resources will some rule or regulation change that reality the other piece is quite frankly a lot of folks are running betas meaning they're running it in parallel to what their existing operations are that in case there is a failure on the r d their main business doesn't suffer down the road. So that, again, coming back to the R&D investment, that's where the investment is continuing to be maintained or increased. So when we hear, you know, you'll, you'll sort of hear about uh, where we are in a market cycle, where we are, you know, in the markets and so on, and there's a lot of discussion about where we are in the CapEx cycle, right? You know, it's hard to borrow right now because of the interest rate story. That said, a lot of corporations borrowed a lot of cheaper rates a couple of years ago yeah. and so so they're they're ready to deploy capex for lots of different reasons how much of that money is going to ai do you think i don't have specific numbers yeah. but what i can tell you a lot of close attention is being paid to technology now going back to the issue of noise in the marketplace yeah. and like everybody's coming out with a new technology or an application where the real inherent value is on proprietary technology that's being built, number one, mm -hmm. and one which is going to use data sets that are unique to clients. So I'll give you one example. Clients, when they're looking to you know, implement a new technology tool that's AI-driven, their first concern is privacy for sure. You so know, they build it or? Well, here's the thing. There's three components when you look at AI tools, right? There's the data. That's basically the oil that makes the machine work. Right. You've got the algorithm, essentially, which is the machine itself, and then you've got the outcome. Without the right data set, you're not going to get a great outcome. Mm -hmm. And a lot of clients are saying, well, I'm not interested in taking everything on the internet. There may be false positives. There may be biases. I don't want to use somebody else's data set. Where the real value is, is the data that I'm collecting within my organization. And they've been doing that for years. For in years. In cases. And in yeah. some cases, unconsciously. Like their business may be in one place, but they are collecting this ancillary data. And now they can monetize it potentially by using these AI tools. What's an example of that? Sometimes they use like Zillow or something, or they use different, like whether you're you're watching people buy houses and you get all this other data on the other side. Well, let's just take that example I was giving you earlier about real estate, right? Yeah. You've acquired a building, a commercial building, you have offices and okay. all kinds, of, and you're collecting all these other data points. When are people entering the building? Where, what floors are they going to? What is the unique uh, traffic pattern? And maybe you rent out the commercial space, the retail space at the bottom of the building in a different way. Because people want coffee more often. Coffee more often. You may get demographic information as well, you know, age and stage and so on and so forth. So you have a ton of data that you could use strategically 
for either acquisition purposes, let's say to buy the building, mm -hmm. or you could also sell to somebody else who wants to maybe property manage it for you or other uh, folks. But that wasn't the primary reason why you were collecting, but you have the ability to do that now. So I think you said there are three. So there's generative AI, which we're talking about. The transformative is, is not being used yet. And was there a third? Right. So you've got the generative AI, which is the more, to be putting, putting it bluntly, it's much more consumer friendly. Yeah, we can use it easily. The yeah. AI for the transformative one is very difficult to implement. The third one, which we seldom see, but we do see it in the financial institution space, is investments that are jointly done. So let's say oh. you're FI1, I'm FI2. Mm -hmm. Together, we're gonna have a better data set. Let's see if we can collaborate to build a tool and maybe have a joint product we're gonna be offering down the road. Interesting. So we're seeing a lot of that too. And so that's really interesting. If we go to sort of the regulatory framework, um, where, I mean, banks and, and the financials are a very good example in this country of where it's, it, uber regulated and strong system uh, it has both where do you see sort of the regulatory picture uh being where does it need to have its genesis in each country does it start in our case in ottawa does it start where does it start it's so tricky for so many reasons when you talk about for example privacy mm -hmm. you've got privacy legislation on it when you talk about cybersecurity, there's cybersecurity bills and then you have other types of areas like intellectual property and so on ai is all of that together so you're not just regulating AI, you're regulating aspects of privacy if, let's say, individuals' information is being collected. You may have intellectual property issues that come into play, certainly security issues for cybersecurity, and so on. So it can be very tricky. So you have to bring it all together and not be inconsistent with existing pieces of legislation. So that's number one. Number two, there are some pieces of legislation. In fairness, Canada is at the forefront. There is a bill, Bill C-27, which yeah. is before Parliament right now, it's a, it's a bit of an omnibus type of bill. It has one on AIDA, which is our Artificial Intelligence Data Act, mm -hmm. but also some on privacy legislation as well and a tribunal that goes along with it. Canada would be one of the very first jurisdictions with that piece of legislation. And, and all indications are it's probably going to proceed. The big question is not so much the law itself, but the regulations that are going to flow from it because there's a lot of gaps. The other piece is the Europeans are very much at the forefront of this, and they're also yeah. proposing bills to be able to move it forward. So I think there's going to be a general movement, certainly in Canada, to a lesser extent the U.S. for now, but at least in the EU, to move to regulate this. And often it's first mover advantage. Yeah. So if we can regulate this, that becomes the global standard and norm. So I think there is something to come on that relatively shortly. Really, relatively shortly. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's coming to the point where it could be presented soon. Well, I know the bill has made its way through second reading. Yeah. It is before Parliament right now. You know, all things being equal, if we, we don't have a dissolution of Parliament, uh, it's probably going to get adopted this fall. Okay. A, a pass this fall, but actually coming into force much later after that. Yeah, much later. And, and companies are probably um, talking about what they, they need in terms of regulatory. I know I've spoken to um, financial regulators, and they also very much aware, but just want to wait on what the structure is going to look like before they can also right. add in their layers. If I could, if I could just mention one thing about regulators in particular, especially financial regulators, when it comes to privacy and financial services, the one piece they want to make absolutely sure about, and we have this in the legislation, is like I said, if the data set is weak or is faulty, so if you have biases, right. for example, that discriminates against a particular group of individuals, that's going to be problematic because the outcome is going to be a biased, incorrect type of a product uh, approval, non-approval, and so on. So what the regulators want to make sure is there's at least a human touch at some point. 
that the machine is not automating everything from A to Z. Right. So if you're, for example, applying for a loan, or if you're trying to get a, a financing for something, that there is a human touch and involvement that will actually come and do a cross check on it at the end day. Right, right, almost like an editor. Exactly. Yeah. So it, you can generate a certain amount. Um, there's certain things that will be the unintended consequences, and and I often you can't see those until you're further down the road. But I mean, one example was sort of the driverless car euphoria and excitement, and um, and then one of the big problems why. It, couldn't be adopted wasn't the technology and it was it was who was going to insure a car that's being driven by a computer like what insurance company is going to sign up for that um how do you sort of again see the human touch needing to be the centerpiece of of a lot of this design what, or, or i might ask what are the unintended consequences that you can already see coming down the road right great great points and, and i'll tell you i'm having a similar conversation with a client the other day and they raised the exact same issue, like what are the unintended consequences? When social media came out, the positive was connectiveness. Sure. People who were isolated were able to connect in communities or people who are in far-flung regions of the world. Even uh, political movements were started that absolutely. way to, to, to create really communicate and, and so coordinate. On. Yeah. But the flip side was the addiction on social media in some cases, the negative impact on, on self and mental health in some cases as well. So there's always these pieces that come to light much later once the technology has been deployed. With AI, the biggest concern is what I just mentioned earlier, is that the possibility of biases right. and discrimination. Okay. Um, you're only as good as the data you get. And you've probably seen this as well. There's a rush to bring products to market, especially right now, because it's a race. You know, we talked about uh, ChatGPT, which is one product, but there are hundreds of them that are out there. And in particular, the big tech companies are competing for market share. Sure. So if one, let's say a ChatGPT gets the majority of the market share, others will have to deploy significantly more effort. So they're rushing these products out very quickly query what kind of diligence has been done and i think what we are telling our clients is if you're going to invest in these companies or if you're going to be um, buying their product at any point essentially the onus is on you to do the right diligence and I'll, I'll tell you a lot of companies are setting up artificial intelligence ethics groups right so just because we can do something and implement something do we want to do it what's our ethos in terms of use of ai as you can see how healthcare sort of comes into that as well. You know, just because you can do certain types of procedures and things that, that happen, you have to go through the ethics discussion um, right. before before you put something um, into play. Okay, so, so what are some of the best practices to be safe with our data? So how we traverse a digital world knowing that our data is out there. What can we do to, I guess, at least offset it slightly? So whenever I meet a new client, like I think most people, I'll go on Google, yeah. and I'll put their name in or go on there. LinkedIn or what have you. Um, so at least I know who I'm speaking to. Maybe there's a picture out there and so on. And you'd be perhaps surprised. Some people have very extensive profiles, mm -hmm. very professional, well done, along with personal stuff that is also available on various forums. Uh, other folks have a much smaller footprint. You don't see a lot of it. Which do you respect more? People who have a very small footprint or obviously a well done one is good, but. I still shred my mail. <laughs> so I, I like to have, I, a, I, like to, I like to have very small footprints as much as possible. But it comes back to the question of what you share, assume it's going to be made public. So when you right. are, I'll give you an example. When you're filling an application for anything, you'll often see these fields, name, address, telephone, and a variety of others. But some of them has asterisks beside them. They're right. absolutely essential and others will yeah. be marked optional. Do you really need to give the optional information? It's a question for the individual, not for, for, for me to answer. But do you really need to provide it? Keep your footprint as short because 
the data set can be picked up and used elsewhere. And I'll tell you, this is more of a privacy law issue when it comes to privacy is what you share with one entity could be shared or resold afterwards in part or in totality. And then you have multiple copies of it out there. That's what ad tech and a lot of those other issues come up a lot these days. So I think step number one, reduce your footprint as much as possible. Okay. In terms of AI use, mm -hmm. if you're buying a technology for your organization, great application, you're gonna be super efficient, just plug and play, you have to do some level of diligence. There's two things you wanna do. Whoever's selling you the product, the onus is on them to show you it's a secure product, that it's gone through some verifications, has a fra framework for regulatory compliance and so on. And there are frameworks that are out there. NIST, which is a US-based standard, has that framework. There are others as well. Put it on them to show you that they're compliant, that they've thought through the okay. issues. So if an advisor is thinking like, you know, I'd like to step it up a bit here, make sure that I can do things that also take care of the compliance in many ways, mm -hmm. you would go to a company and say, ask them to show you. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're totally entitled to it. It's called a security white paper. For sure. That most companies will have ready to go. If the concern for the advisor is from a privacy law standpoint for their for their clients, right? At the end yeah. of the day, information they may be feeding into this tool, make sure you ask for what we call a privacy impact assessment or a PIA. That document basically outlines where the highest risks and the lowest risks from a privacy standpoint. Hopefully they're all low or non-existent. If you see high risk, then you may want to pause and say, are there other options out there um, that are in the marketplace? For small, I mean, are there lots of options out there for small businesses. I help out with a charity. It's not huge, but it has this database. You know, everyone's got a database, right? If you're if you're organizing anything. Um, are there a lot of options for sort of small size? We were chatting about this as well yeah. earlier. There's a lot of noise, but there's also a lot of dust right now. Right. So everybody and, and, and their friends are proposing all kinds of AI tools and solutions mm -hmm. and applications. And more often than not, they're not exactly AI driven. Right. I think what's going to happen, you're going to have a proliferation. That's where in the next few, six months, eight months or so, you're going to have a ton of chatter. We're AI. We have a tool that's AI powered or enabled or what have more you. More than we're seeing now. It's going Definitely to just, more okay. than what you're seeing right now because everybody's going to get into it. The bigger piece is going to be, and this is what I tell our clients, just because something is out there doesn't mean you need it. Right. If it doesn't apply to your business you know, rationale or your business objective, mm -hmm. there's no point in investing in it. Um, so this fear of missing out, the mm -hmm. FOMO we talk mm -hmm. about often, um, is there, and a lot of people are nervous around it, but you really have to look at the fundamentals as well. Right. Uh, one quick point for those who are investing in the space, one thing I often recommend is if you can get a copy of the annual report, and when you get a copy of the annual report, go down to the section on artificial intelligence and take a look as to whether they're doing fundamental R&D and in what area, mm -hmm. or are they just using another product, bringing it as a foundational piece and building on top of it. Typically, like going and buying it from one of the Silicon Valley players and, and plugging it in. And plugging it in and then adding features that are a bit more okay. customized. Not that one is necessarily better than the other, but you can see where the value, the intrinsic value of the future R&D and the AI tool is going to be versus what they're putting on paper as a final product. So what do they need to be a successful company that you want to invest in? What should they be doing? So I give this example of um, integrators. Yeah. So in the technology space, very common, you have let's say Microsoft Office that you're using for all kinds of emails and, and other like spreadsheets and so on. You have another tool that's being used for something else. You want at the end, all of these different tools and applications that are part of your technology stack to work well together. Yeah. So there are companies out there, literally their entire business model is to be an integrator. So you have maximum and optimal use of those tools. 
but they are actually not selling anything beyond their expertise to put it together. Mm. There's no technology they proprietarily own. Are they going to be taking the information that they're helping you sort Hopefully out? Hopefully not. Uh, you, and, and definitely they should not be. So the same thing on the AI front. You want to make sure that when you're looking at that statement, yeah. you know, as to what they're doing in AI, are they building the underlying technology? Or are they essentially just an integrator of the right. different applications right. of AI by using other you know, tools that are readily available outside. And I'll tell you, the, my gut feel is, and this is me looking into the crystal ball, yeah. uh, I guess You have a little. better crystal ball than we do, though, so <laughs> we, we want to hear about this. I think those who are spending the time and effort, even if the outcome may be much later, let's say a year, two years, three years horizon in terms of before the product comes out, are probably a better bet for the longer investment than the ones that are shortly being released right now based on other people's tools and just features being added onto it. You, you want a little bit of an open system that can that can roll with any changes exactly. that come and, and grow with your company too yeah. as well. If you're if you're a company, you want control. You yeah. want control over your data. And like control, I said, totally. the data and the machine that makes it, which is the algorithm. So if you have the AI algorithm and the data set, you're golden. Um, let's go back to regulations a little bit. I think when we had had a preliminary conversation, you said that actually what, what Europe is doing, you mentioned it just now too, it, is really interesting. Um, obviously, it's going to matter when the U.S. makes a decision because whatever they do, we will, Europe as well as Canada and others, will probably, as a main trading partner, need to be at least com um, commensurate with what whatever they're doing. How far away is is that? Do you think? I think there's a huge pressure on the U.S. side to adopt some piece of legislation. We don't um, hear about it a ton. Are well, they, President Biden's office it, is, his administration is is quite engaged on the topic, yeah. at least okay. from what I've been hearing. Okay. But the challenge is the following, and we have it here in Canada, we have it in Europe and other parts of the world as well. You want to put these guardrails, that's fine. But most laws and regulations follow the technology. Right. And also, you don't know, like date. you said. Yeah, and you also know, like we talked about right just a minute ago, you don't know what the outcomes are going to be, the negative outcomes. So the law may need to be further amended and changed, but laws don't change overnight. They take time. And you also, this is the bigger, more fundamental issue, in particular for the Biden administration, where they've got Silicon Valley and they want to make sure they have that competitive piece still maintained post-legislation. How do we keep competitive and innovation yeah. advantage that we have with regulation that may potentially stifle it? So what is a right striking balance where we don't go too far but we also make sure we innovate and keep our leading pole position in the United States. Same thing for Canada, us being a G7 country, right beside the United States, a big trading partner, but also by population size, a smaller economy in some respects. Um, how do you balance that where you don't make it too onerous, right. don't stifle innovation, and still encourage people to come and invest in Canada? That's the harder part. So when you're looking at these regulatory pieces, there's a lot of political economic balancing beyond just what is good for privacy, cyber, and other areas, for example. Two countries right now that are that are let's say negotiating a trade deal. There's always a trade deal being negotiated somewhere. Sometimes it's it's uh, multifaceted and, and many many countries joining it. How much of those discussions are around AI regulations and to what extent that needs to be a big part of the trade story? Right. right. I haven't been privy to the conversation. Those trade discussions uh, that are happening, I can probably tell you, based on the last round of negotiations we had with the U.S. on our trade agreement yeah. that we entered, the USMCA, they talked a lot about IP. They were right. very big about IP protection for the big tech companies that are doing uh, business in other jurisdictions, particular Canada. I suspect it will become part of that conversation. If you look at some of the joint statements from the G20 and G G7 even yeah. prior to that, 
they're very focused on AI. They're aware of the issues. So it has captured the minds of legislators and, and, and government. I think they're going to be much more interested in pushing forward because generally speaking, this is putting business aside, the average Canadian or consumer is concerned. They get nervous, right? Is AI going to take our jobs? Yeah. Is AI going to discriminate against me because of my socioeconomic or other kind of factors? And government are being pushed and pressed to take a position on these. And without a legislation, they can say anything in public, but the legislation is really where you know the rubber meets the, the road at the end day. Um, when we watch uh, different types of, I mean, there's discussions about labor across the across North America. What should we pay attention to as it having sort of been fueled by AI? It's very difficult to answer the question in the following sense. We had COVID, which now seems yeah, very long ago, but there was scaling up during that period of large technology companies. They had hired massively in a meaningful way. And now where we reached sort of a stabilization period, they had too much capacity in some, some respects. So there's a little bit of laying off that occurred as a result of post-COVID as opposed to necessarily technology driven. And when you look at the annual earnings calls that you would have, especially for big tech, you had that happening with massive layoffs potentially with in huge investment in AI. So I don't know if the correlation is necessarily all there, but there will be definitively impacts on jobs, guaranteed. I mean, AI, as I just mentioned, even if you take the most narrow and conservative approach, which is only your back office will be impacted to make you more efficient, productive, and administrative tasks and so on. Well, the reality is at the end of the day, somebody's going to lose their job or will need to retool. So what do we need to retool? Like, where would you have us begin? Let's say, let's say advisors are thinking, okay, I really need to get on with this. Where, where do they begin? I'm going to give you a very silly analogy about my own life. So when I was in high school, now I'm dating myself a little bit, you could take an extracurricular class. And my dad said, take typing, literally yeah. sit and learn how to type. Forty, as we call it now. And he yes. said, you will probably benefit from that because you'll talk faster and so on. And it was a great skill. Today, when I'm doing the same exercise with my kids who are teenagers and they're looking at their curriculum, they're looking at coding. They're looking at technology. They're looking at debating and curating. Like it's a completely different skill set. So I think where we're headed, and you're talking about retooling, for those who are perhaps in the back end office space or the administrative side of things where maybe AI will play a more prominent role and their skills are not required there, you may want to look at roles where they're going to be curating, controlling the technology, understanding right. how data works, how the AI works, and so on. So I feel bad that I only got typing, but uh, maybe I should have done coding instead. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you've managed to put yourself right in the most fascinating piece of um, sort of the story within markets and, and probably uh, at the beginning of an industrial revolution here. Imran Ahmad, thank you for joining you. us again today. Great Look conversation. Thank again. you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.